everybody. It's Will. I got Joseph with me. We're recording this Thursday, July 20th. We're going to talk about markets this week as we do. We want to start this week, though, with a piece that Joseph put in our report on Tuesday evening. I think it sets us up for some things that we want to talk about later today pretty nicely. So, Joseph, all that you've uh, unpacked at the high level is that a bunch of the major benchmarks have run up pretty considerably over the past month, six weeks, pretty overbought territory on some of the indicators. But there's a lot more to say about that beneath the surface, I think. Yeah, most definitely. And um, when we look at the S&P, for example, it's at 88% overbought on its default chart. Um, it's it's right next to the top of its trading band. I think it actually got above it um, from when I, when I wrote the piece on Tuesday. Um, and the big difference between, you know, the last six or seven weeks versus the first part of the year was, you know, the first part of the year was very narrow. You know, we've talked about that at nauseum almost. Um, but really, when we broke out of that 4,200 level on the S&P, we saw the market really broaden out. And since the end of May, the S&P equal weight has actually beaten the S&P 500 cap weight, uh, believe it or not, um, by over 100 basis points. Um, but again, you get a move of, you know, close to four, you know, 350 points, pretty much 400 points because we did 4,600, um, at least on the, on the future. So you got a roughly a, a 400 point move in, in six, six or seven weeks. Um, it's a pretty substantial move in, in such a short period of time. Um, like I said, the S&P equal weight did beat the, the cap weight, but it was up nine, uh, 9.3% since the end of May. So really large move. And it set up not only the S&P on its, on its trend chart into heavily overbought territory, but we're seeing some of these, you know, more short-term, short-term and intermediate-term indicators getting too overbought or frothy territory. So the big one is the, is the BPSPX. Um, that moved above 70%. Uh, it touched 70% in February, but the last time it charted above 70% was in November of last year. Uh, and then you look at some more shorter term ones in the BPs. I would say the BPs are going to be more of an intermediate term type of indicator. Um, then you got the 10 week for the S&P 500 uh, that crossed above 80%. So that's just tracking the percentage of stocks in the S&P trading above their 50 day moving averages. And then you got the, the uh, weekly distribution for the S&P. So we talked about how the S&P itself had a very high weekly overbought or sold reading. Um, what that weekly distribution for the S&P 500 does. So it tracks the average overbought or sold rating for every stock in the S&P. And that is in the mid thirties. And that's been an area where, you know, typically we're talking about above 70%, you get some, you know, some mean reversion tendencies. On that indicator, if you get into the mid thirties to above 40, you're getting to that, that frothy kind of overbought territory in the short term. Um, so, you know, just, the general message is we're pretty extended um, on short and intermediate term basis. Um, long term, I think some of those indicators could have some more room to move higher. Um, they aren't in you know, excessively high levels like some of these short term indicators are. But I mean, the charts, the chart itself for the S&P setup and a lot of the short term indicators are set up for some sort of some sort of pullback. And it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing in the world either. You, know, you need those pullbacks to to build more energy to to move higher. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad 
you mentioned or alluded to some of the longer term indicators like the PT for the S&P, that's, I believe, in the 60s at this point, but that's not at extreme territory. So there is some room on the intermediate long term scale to keep going. But I agree that I think a breather here would be help would certainly be healthy and maybe g- mm-hmm. give us a new support level. I was looking at the the 50 point chart for the S&P. We were talking about that before we started recording, just the stem of X's that you're sitting on right now. So that just speaks to the unidirectional move that we've seen really since April of this year on, on that chart. The Q's I think look even more ridiculous in, in that column of X's. So I think visually you can even see not with getting into the weeds of participation and just visually it looks like we could take a breather right here. I also wanna revisit what you mentioned about the, the trading band for the S&P. So for those not really familiar, we were taking a 10 week trading band, essentially 50 days of price movement. We're essentially distributing that out. And then the top of the trading band is gonna give you 100% overbought reading, which is statistically unlikely to stay at that level for very long. You either see a consolidation, which means we just move laterally, or you see some type of downward move. And Joseph, since you wrote that piece on Tuesday, the S&P is closed above the top of its trading band for the past two days. So it's over 100% reading. I did a little mm-hmm. piece on this and actually stuck it on Twitter that when the S&P is closed above the top of that 10-week training band, I believe it's only been 17 other times, 17 or 18 other times in our history that that's been the case. Average and median returns over the next two weeks and one month were all slightly negative. So down about 80 basis points to down 1%. That's not something shocking that you're going to go out and buy puts or do something, a very aggressive bearish strategy. But it is enough evidence to say that consolidation at least would be expected here. And there is some historical precedent for that. Yeah, I mean, in terms of an option strategy, I mean, you could you could go naked puts as a as a you know, kind of a protective option, or just buy it on the index broadly rather than individual names. But you know, it's also a pretty good environment to uh, sell some covered calls on some positions you own that you think are are heavily overbought, and you don't necessarily want to you know spend spend premium on puts or sell out of these positions that maybe have big gains and things like that. You could you could do some covered right strategies there. Um, yeah, which is another possibility. Yeah, cover rights for sure. And then I don't know if you allude to this just now or not. I think I blinked for a moment. But if you like something lower, selling puts is another idea. You could look at some, you know, prior resistance levels. Unfortunately, what did X at? Like 14, 13? Yeah, I mean, I right think now? that's a big <laughs> issue, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. If you're selling puts now, that I think I think the vol is a little bit too low on on a lot of names to to want to do that. Um, and there's not a lot of support on a lot of these charts that you that you would trust too much either. So, yeah, I mean, I th- that's something you could have a toolkit, but I would, I don't think I'd be, you know, those are those are nice when stocks have really pulled back and there's maybe a huge level of support that you're you're leaning on and the and the ball's higher. Um, you're saying, well, I want to buy this regardless. Um, I think at these levels, I don't know if I'd I'd want to be be selling puts necessarily with the with the ball so low. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, really is, that is an it. option. Conceptually, I, I guess it makes sense, but not necessarily directly applicable for right now. Yeah. All right. Where else do we want to go? I think our message is kind of clear on the S&P there. And I think that could go for the Qs or most of the other benchmarks. We'll, we'll get to small caps in a moment. But I think a, a good 
transition there would be for those that follow Dolly, that's our acronym for dynamic asset level investing is kind of a flagship macro indicator on our system, ranks all the asset classes one to six and the sub asset classes. There's been some chatter about domestic equities picking up a bunch of signals lately, which is our way of saying that it's getting higher in the ranks. It's getting close to overtaking international, which is currently our top ranked asset class. The spread is about one signal, which is pretty much as close as you can be. We got a lot of questions about why is it taken this long? If you look at year-to-date performance for SPY, Qs, whatever you want to call it, it's pretty strong. It's like, why is it taken this long for domestic equities to make its way up to, to maybe the number one position? And we're talking about this. A lot of it's been small caps weren't participating. Equal weighted assets weren't participating. It was really a pretty narrowed leadership market. So it's as of late, small caps, I think, have been a huge talking point. I read a bunch of technical newsletters that come around in the morning, people all chattering about IWM, the Russell 2000. And that IWM chart, I'd be curious to get your takes on on record here. So you got February 23 highs at 198, which you're pretty much there. Then you got August 22 highs at 200, which you're, again, almost there. And then March 2022 highs, which you're pretty much there as well. So I don't know what to what to make of that resistance level. I don't know if we're strong enough here to move through thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I think kind of what I said about the, the S and P earlier, I think, you know, the IWM is at 80% overbought on the weekly on that trading band. I'd like to see a, a retest of that 188 prior resistance, 180, 188, 190. And that's a hold. And then it may have the may have the firepower to get through that 198 200 level. I think the big thing to watch with like IWM, a broad small cap index, is is those regional banks, which have actually started to turn around. Um, you know, we I could talk about you know what the impact of the the bank term funding program and things like that were in in March. Um, it does seem like you know the Fed kind of stopped the hemorrhaging uh, at least for the time being on that the, the regional banking space, and those names are starting to pick up, and that was a big part of the small caps that were holding them back um, for the first uh, you know two quarters of the year. Uh, so you know if we start to see continued improvement from those regional banks, um, they have you know a good amount of room to the upside because they really haven't rallied too much despite that sharp downward move in March and April. Um, so I would be really keen in on regional banks if I wanted to kind of get a glimpse into how I think small caps are, are going to be doing moving forward, at least on the broad index like IWM. Yeah, I was looking at, so like KRE, if you look at that long-term scale, it looks like you're coming out of a pretty material bottom. Once you get above the 49 level, there's not a ton of resistance until maybe some past support, which is up in like the upper 50s. So yeah, it looks like there's mm-hmm. definitely some room there. And talking about volatility earlier, you typically see when something gets sold off, it picks up a lot of volatility. Then typically right around that turnaround time, it's able to harness that volatility and then use it to the upside. So that could be a space for sure that could catalyze and keep small caps going or at least broaden out the participation within small caps. So yeah, I like that mention. Mm -hmm. We want to do, you want to do earnings or any other kind of macro index thoughts? 
I'm not macro index thoughts. Um, just a brief note on commodities. I think they're kind of interesting to watch, um, especially on the energy front. I mean, crude's still in this big range. It hasn't challenged that lower 80s um, resistance yet or broken through it. But it does seem, you know, when you look at the macro side, it does seem, you know, OPEC and, and those entities are, are willing to do whatever it takes to defend that $70 level, roughly around there. And it seems like uh, the U.S. admin and, you know, its allies are at least trying to defend around 80, 85 barrel. And that range has been pretty established. Now, when you look at natural gas, which is another big commodity for a lot of the energy stocks, um, natural gas has actually been up pretty huge the last couple of months. Um, so that's something to watch out for. Um, if crude kind of stabilizes, uh, and then you get natural gas moving up higher. Um, some of those energy stocks could actually start to to turn around and do kind of well. And I, I think we did see that um, move up in the dollar rankings over the last week. So that's just kind of a, a sector that maybe not an overweight right now, but I would keep an eye out on it. Um, it's been kind of quiet recently on the energy front, which hasn't been normal for the last you know uh, yeah. year and a half or so. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah, I that reminds me. I also put a couple pieces out about crude oil that re-enters into a positive trend, but also called out, like you mentioned, that the low 80s looks to be a pretty material area of resistance. So maybe maybe there's a short-term trade in there for people, but any, anything above that right now doesn't look doesn't look likely, at least based off qualitative reasons and even some some technical reasons here. I got some questions about gold. GLD setting up for a potential shakeout pattern looks somewhat half decent, but with the with the multi-year highs above, I think you're going to need a lot more going for gold to get it above those levels. I mean, you're up four percent off of that, so you need you know real yields to materially come down. Maybe a different a different risk on risk off stance for investors, but it seems like people are still in aggregate decently bearish right now, at least the the like main sell side strategists. So mm -hmm. yeah, commodities, I think broadly maybe have have stabilized here. We'll, we'll, we'll see how much follow through we actually get on some of the individual names. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is like the downward momentum has definitely slowed versus what it was. Um, yeah. So uh, it, it, opens, it opens some doors there um, that weren't necessarily available to be opened, you know, a couple of months ago. So I would just to keep an eye on um, yeah. Just kind of something that uh, we haven't talked about it too much. I um, mean, it kind of gotten out of the limelight because the volatility's died down a little bit in that space. But mm -hmm. I still think it's a pretty important area to watch, especially when you get into Fed policy, um, which you know is is anybody's guess. But you know, if you do start to see commodity prices really tick up materially, then you can start to think about potentially more rate Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. You want to do? Earnings. I got a name. You got a name. I'll go. I'll go with United. I think airlines have been a standout for me so far this earnings season. You saw Delta post killer results. You saw United. I think they posted a record quarterly profit. And I believe both of them cited an uptick in international travel as a pretty big catalyst for that. I, I don't know if you can see. I have an Alaska Airlines shirt on. My my dad's a pilot for. <laughs> Alaska. So I've I've heard some anecdotal stuff about the airline industry. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I don't know if maybe international travelers perhaps 
it's more more lucrative for airlines you know cost per seat i can't say that for sure that's just speculation but it seems like it's been cited in some of these calls and then technically united was in this huge trading range for the past two years i'd call it and it's moving towards the top of that trading range now higher bottom decently overbought talk about a cover call candidate there's there's some good options there and same for delta as well so i think the airline space would be one that's probably been a notable takeaway for me yeah i mean for me i mean i think the financial earnings have been pretty interesting i mean i think they've been mostly positive i would say um the really big trend that we're seeing and it's kind of highlighted by discover financial services which announced yesterday is um they're increasing cash on hand for for credit losses um and delinquencies and things like that which has ticked up over the last quarter um so i think that's going to be something to really a theme to continue to watch out for uh, american express has earnings tomorrow which is um I, w- I would keep an eye on all of those credit card companies i think they they give pretty useful insight into uh what consumer spending habits are are really like um i think some of the economic data that comes out, you know, weekly or monthly isn't necessarily reliable, but um, I like to, to hear those earnings from those credit card companies to uh, to validate, you know, that kind of data as well on the fundamental yeah. side. Yeah, especially because everyone's been talking about how strong the consumer is. And then if you, yeah, 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 that'd, that'd be good. And too, maybe it's because people are buying all these international travel tickets for two grand or whatever <laughs> on their Amex card and then can't get into yeah. lounges and yeah i was talking to a friend that he said he was traveling earlier in the month of july and it was so packed in the airport there were like hour waits for lounges they were trying to pay people to get off planes because they overbooked them maybe all these people are not going to pay their credit cards who knows <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, yeah i mean i think it's something to watch um you know, I mean, people have been talking about, oh, when's the consumer going to get kind of tapped out by inflation or, or yeah. whatever. I think we're actually kind of seeing the, the real first signs of so, some of that potentially where, you know, it was a lot of speculation before. But, you know, when you look at you have a couple of a couple of people saying, you know, yeah, we're, we need to increase cash on cash on hand for for credit losses. Um, yeah. So. I, I, yeah, that's never a good sign. You hope you hope it's kind of contained and and small, but you know, really the first first real real data point we have of that going on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you got anything else for the people? Uh, no, no, nothing. All right. I don't know either. In that case, we'll. We'll go ahead and say thanks for the time. We appreciate it. We all mention this all the time, but if you do want to talk further about this stuff, Joseph and I are available via phone, email. You can reach out to us via the platform, or also the contact that we put up at the end of our YouTube uh, at the end of the of the YouTube video. Please. All right. All right. Well, pre- appreciate it. Good talking with you, man. Thanks for coming on. Talk to everybody next yep. week.